Nice. Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about role players. I'm Jess. Every week we come here to talk about a gaming-related topic, from creating a character to running a game, and what it all means to people who share our favorite hobby. With me this week, I have Carl. Carl, would you like to introduce yourself, tell the listeners a little bit about what you do and why you're here? Greetings and beatings, Jesse, and greetings and beatings, listeners of Dodecahedron. Uh, I'm Carl, Uncle Yo Custer. I was a nerd-specific stand-up comedian, uh, nationally touring anime, comic book, and video game conventions for about 10 years. And for the past uh, two years, I'm pulled into this podcast because I've also been the uh, head writer, director, and co-producer of the Chroniclers of Darkness podcast on uh, YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Which you should absolutely go and listen to as soon as you finish this episode of my show. But... Tell us a little bit about Chroniclers of Darkness, because I think you may be the most pedigreed geek guest that we've had on the show in terms of everything that you just described, but what we're really here to talk about is taking a, taking a game like we all play and enjoy and turning it into something narrative. Mm. There's an interesting school of thought with um, when it comes to st- storytellers within the World of Darkness system, game masters within Pathfinder, or dungeon masters within Dungeons & Dragons. And that is, if you are railroading your players, why not just write a novel? Or if your players don't <laughs> trust their GM, they should just run out into a ball pit and run for their own game. It is a bit of a narcissistic move, I have to admit, because while I am taking the source material from RPGs, which is meant to be a communal experience, right. I am writing, directing, and starring in standalone five-episode miniseries that take place within Onyx Path Publishing and White Wolf uh, Publishing's World of Darkness RPG series. These are not based on games that I have run. This is just based on my reading the book and thinking, what kind of a story, what would a TV pitch be like to a network within this world? Well, and I think so many of us who play and who write have also had that thought of like, man, I really love the world that they've set up in whatever system I'm looking at right now. I wish somebody would make a TV show of this. And with World of Darkness, we've got a couple of examples out there where it's like, oh, you could watch Penny Dreadful for the historical aspect of it, or Supernatural for the hunter side of it. You could watch Labyrinth and completely understand Changeling the Lost. Oh my god, yes. Ah, so good. But taking it and making it into your own thing Mm. requires a certain amount of effort and foresight and thought that I don't think a lot of people really comprehend when they're just kicking that thought around what it becomes is the difference of time management between essentially what i'm just doing is writing and producing original narrative horror stories right they do it every week on the escape artist network with escape pod pseudopod anyone who picks a story and goes for it i'm crafting it from the beginning i'm I'm spending anywhere from six to ten hours writing a what should be pace out to a 20 to 25 minute episode Mm -hmm. then we're hiring actors then we're doing the editing and the music and the reason i went with purely audio is a lot of the characters that you get to play in world of darkness they're not meant to be known what works great about darkness is what we don't see it's a primal human fear and for games such as vampire the requiem or vampire the masquerade vampires have had to rely on thousands of years of 
oral tradition. Right. The and they they thrive on the ambiguity of what is and not out there in the darkness. Audio mm. is also the most. I can't remember who said this quote, but audio is the most visual form of storytelling. <laughs> You okay. can hear it in our breaths and the squeaking of the chairs. If, if if your listeners have both earbuds in, you're in the environment with us. But what is the edges of that space? You can go with it by muscle memory. The show that changed it for me uh, was when Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. worked with a radio producer to create two plays for voices. He did Snow Glass Apples from the Smoke and Mirrors collection starring Broadway's own B.B. Newworth as the queen of snow glass apples and worked with Brian Dennehy to produce murder mysteries about the first ever murder in the silver city before God, you know, uh, pulled the, the choke cord and let the, the lawnmower of creation start. That was bizarre metaphor, but you know, we're no, going, we're going for the hedge, bring it back to the hedge for changeling. Absolutely. Audio stories and radio plays was the first way that we got media out into the American market before television. Absolutely. I wanted to go back into audio, not just because it would force me to learn editing software, mixing music, mixing sound effects, which listeners of Chroniclers can tell you I am still learning as I go mm-hmm. because it helps me produce audiobooks, it helps me do voiceover auditions, but it also helps create this solid world. I do reach out to artists and, and uh, different friends. I need a character drawing. If nothing else, I need a still drawing for you to see what this person looks like. So there's a big difference between like the two vampire characters that run Free Crone Radio of the the Vampire the Requiem podcast. Right. While Devin is up here, you know, he's coming off of that uh, pseudo wannabe 90s nostalgia uh, tomboy versus his partner, this uh, 1970s uh, PTSD Vietnam vet Murray. They're going to stand differently. I'm holding my body differently in the uh, in the recording booth when I'm doing those voices, but I also got those um, visual punch cards for the YouTube videos. Right. So there's something at least for a little bit of visual reference. Which I think is a nice bit of panache that you've added to that whole element. The, the level of production that goes into it is fairly impressive. That goes to uh, Miranda Leggy, uh, Art by Mira, an old high school friend who's doing great work on uh, the, the physical art print. Um, there are sometimes, like in the Mage story, I reached out to uh, other artists th- that I've met for a really critical scene. At the end of our Mage story, mm-hmm. when Lynn is on the floor, essentially in a self-induced coma, but also typing away at her game controller to visually attack this little floating paladin of her own psyche, I wanted that scene somehow. And uh, the artist I was working with, Anna Rosen Rosenfeld, Rosenfield gave me a bunch of different great drafts because there were some scenes I just wanted people to see. There's there's only so far that the narration can go, but it also forces me to stop writing and talking and run on sentences to get right. the point and the scene across as best as we can. Well, and those visual elements, I think, are something that fans of audio work will always desire. It's why, like, if, if you're a fan of something like The Adventure Zone or Critical Role, mm. a little less with the latter because they've got the video element that goes mm. along with it as well. You know, those are just, like, the two most popular ones. And I don't know about you, but when I pick up a new book, I look at that cover for a long time before I oh, ever sure. open it. And when there's a piece of character art, I zoom in on that. I mean, I have five or six books on the shelf behind me that <laughs> I bought purely because the cover was like, oh, 
this is beautiful. I have to know what this is. Yeah. Like when I when I bought that second edition D&D Ranger guide, there's a beautiful painted colored illustration of this woman with a fox next to her, feathers in her hair, feathers mm-hmm. on her armband and I and I thought, how does that person exist statistically in this world? How do I elicit this kind of rugged comfort in the surrounding areas? Oh, and like the art in game books is often some of the most evocative that I've ever seen mm-hmm. because it's made to trigger your imagination like that. While in a video game, you will be running through and exploring this world. In an RPG, you have to translate this to the people around you. So in, in my fifth edition uh, game, which, which we're just wrapping up, um, the day that we're recording this, next Monday, is our final session. I've not told them oh, yet. Wow. I've not told them yet that they will be creating the Goblin Inquisition Something I joked about in the very oh beginning, but I'm going to, I'm going to start them where they left off in one fight, and then immediately switch over to brand new goblin characters, who will incidentally blow up the area that they are in. Oh, and they're not going to expect it at all. No, it's the Goblin Inquisition. No one expects it. Period. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yeah, with a video game you explore it, but sometimes I've had to open up YouTube videos and just because we're doing the Underdark, which is. For Dungeons and Dragons fan, the critical underground nightmare right. zone. And for fifth edition, they said we want an Alice in Wonderland aesthetic. We need colored mushrooms. We need um, a sense of dream and mystery and willow wisps of different colors. But we also need dank, arid, unlimited cave and cavern spaces. Mm-hmm. So I had to turn the laptop around sometimes. This is where you are. This is what you're going to explore. This is what a koa toa, a, a fish frog person looks like. This is what I mean when I say there are drow coming around the edge. They're not just elves that are darker skinned. They're in this immaculate armor, these curved, dripping with glowing poison, short swords. Anytime you see danger should trigger in the back of your head. That visual helps. Absolutely. But what helps even more... I think it's just committing to the role. And I have problems with this as well of sticking to a set character voice. It can be pretty tricky, especially when, you know, if you're the storyteller or the GM and you've got, I don't know, 50 to 100 different characters running around in the world somewhere. And it's like, not all of them are going to have a distinct manner of speech. It's also worth gauging. And this is, this is so critical before you and your friends ever sit down and do your own actual play podcast or do your own group theatrical exercise mm-hmm. is to gauge the commitment level. Yeah. Because you will have, you can have players, and these are some of your favorite players, who talk just as much out of game as in, or they flat out don't have a, a voice for their character, or they're only gauging generally. Instead of, instead of saying, we will of course accept your quest, they're back there going, uh, can we, we just say sure, like, like we'll, we'll take it. Yeah. There's, so they're always, in a way, skipping between the fourth wall. Whether they're committing to, whether they're not committing to themselves or not committing to the characters. If you don't gauge that ahead of time and set your expectations accordingly. Right. You're going to have a rough time. Well, and I think that's why the importance of the session zero that we talk about on this show a lot Mm. is almost doubled when it comes to something that you're going to put out there. Because you need to know, like, if you've got somebody new at your table Mm -hmm. that you haven't actually played with extensively. Yeah, they're new to the social group or or even new to the system. Like, what are their habits? How do they handle things? 
And even if you're with people who you've dealt with for years and you trust implicitly as players, mm. you need to have that conversation where it's like, okay, I know in our three hour long game nights that we have every week, we can goof around and do whatever we want because we'll see each other next week and it's just for us. But on this, we have 45 minutes to an hour to record this thing and mm. get it out to other people. We can't dance around. We've got to. We did three combat sessions last night in under two hours. Damn. Because, well, two of the encounters were very quick, just two minions, the, the players jump right into it. But I was basically pushing them every step of the way because they know they only have two hours. And when I bring an energy to the table, we're going back to Thromax, we're going back to Kinsley. What do you do? This is your reaction. No, there's no time to think. Literally, you've got two more drow coming around the corner. What are you gonna do? Oh, is it my turn? If you oh, don't, if, God, you, yeah. if you don't engage and push, if you don't push that energy, they will not. I they won't push back or go with that flow. Pre-production is so important mm -hmm. for jumping into something. So with Chroniclers of Darkness, I get to set the tone and the pace with right. either the music below, or the speed of the narration, or the use of breaking it up using sound effects. I try to give myself no more than two minutes of no audio cue. It's a lot about horror. It's a lot about discovery. It's a lot about mysteries and revelations. Like in the the Demon the Descent story that we just wrapped up, God mm -hmm. Complex, the characters are, are learning things maybe every five minutes. So there's always an audio cue. The music stops. He has a date with Leslie Sherman. Or a new musical cue picks on. We move the bookcase behind and we find the descending staircase. Da, 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 da. That music sets up the, the tone and the interior cue. Absolutely. For our viewers and players. The fact that I get to create the story by myself means I can follow the narrative structure. Yeah. I can basically tell the, the TV episode that is in my head. When we're doing an actual play, part of it has to be the goofing around and being a part of that family dynamic. That's what the D&D podcast Sneak Attack does so well. Right. They're, they're so good. There's such a bunch of cinnamon rolls. I've told them this to their faces. <laughs> but they create a kind, welcoming space to sit down and laugh with Reed or laugh at Josh or snicker with Mike. Mm -hmm. That pulls you into this family of players. Well, and I think that's something that a lot of listeners are really drawn toward. And it's why, you know, shows like Friends at the Table are also very popular because people want to feel that connection. Especially people who are, you know, in rural areas that don't mm. have, like, you know, we're in New York. If we want to find a new gaming group, there are 13 different things on Meetup right now that are gaming sessions in this neighborhood. Yeah. One sec. I just hit one. Yeah. Oops. Sorry. Sorry. Knocked over your dice tower over there. <sighs> you should know better than setting it up on the corner, Chad. Come on, Chad. Work with me, thinking? Chad. First edition, my ass. <laughs> But yeah, cult of personality itself, whether it's going to be the player or the character itself. I've yet to get into a podcast where I don't care, where, where there's a divide between my caring about the player and my caring about their commitment to the character. Mm -hmm. I think that's just so important because there is a charisma to the fantasy person that they're setting on and the way that the player 
puts on and wears that that imaginary suit, that imaginary mask. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's why some of the best narrative shows like that, you know, big surprise, they rely on actors. Because mm. if you're not actually able to bring that sort of, like, personal tour de force performance to your character, people might like the way that you've set something up or the way that a very creative person handles certain situations. But if it's not told well, it's like you said before, audio is a visual medium. Yeah. The two big differences, I mean, I will always go back to Shakespeare's Hamlet because that's the the set, pretty universal show. Most people yeah. seen vaguely aware. The two examples that really reflect for me are the production that BBC did with David Tennant as Hamlet. Mm -hmm. You got that... A uh, very sharp, fiery, irrational, uh, again, sharp energy that Tennant brings to the mental breakdown and possible psychosis of Hamlet. I saw an immersive version of it for Annie Shakespeare Shakedown where uh, an actress named Sarah Raimundi, this tiny woman, played Princess Hamlet. Played nice. sincerely. Hamlet was not a girl pretending to be a boy. Hamlet was Princess Hamlet. And she brought this very... Uh, Pat Benatar-esque energy. There was a lot of shoulder and hip checking of Claudius. There was a lot of condemnation to the rest of the cast. There was a lot of flirtation, which plays very differently when you have uh, Lady Hamlet yeah. against Ophelia, against Laertes, against Horatio. Those relationships change, and it changed because the actor committed to it. You do the same thing when you sit down with an RPG, mm -hmm. but as the as the person running it, you gotta check in with your players personally before and after the session. How did that feel? I had a, a player whom I loved with all my heart, loved every character that she brought to the surface, but could not RP in front of the group to save her life. Now, when I pulled her into her bedroom to do these one-on-ones, can I rephrase that? We had to separate from the group temporarily to do these really intense, like, like she she came across her, she finally found her father, the trans-dimensional um, pirate, this this dashing NPC, you know, the, the go-to write-in. And he had to scold her for running away from a place he kept her safe, and she said, oh, you mean like you would stop my freedom while you get to run around? Who is this new person? Yeah. Who is this character? This is Seren Rayner. Out of the table, not going to work. So if Marianne wanted those moments, I had to give her those chances to give me the high sign. Yeah. Okay, let's step off and try this. Other people, purely there for the combat, and you know what? They're going to get it. If he wants to be that second hand, the, the passenger side gamer, you should do this next round so I can do this next round. If the other person accepts it and wants it, go for it. It's a reason that I, I hesitate to run World of Darkness games. Mm -hmm. Not not because I'm afraid of the, the trigger-sensitive political correctness or the, the Me Too movement. It's that there's so much context to sitting down with someone and saying, we are ideally going to face horrific events. What is a red light for you? Yeah. What is a yellow light? They talk about this in the, um, the second edition Changeling, the Lost Book. Absolutely. Uh, the the green, yellow, red s s system, which I love, and I would love to bring to conventions. If they're entering something and it's too squiggy, it's too scary, they don't want to go into a certain place infested with spiders. Or they're willing to tackle it because it's just a game. Tap the green. 
if you need me to slow it down because I'm going too much on the taste and smell of something, okay, yellow, let's bring it back. If it's a flat out red, boom, hmm. scene ends, we take it back. It sounds like a, a more nuanced version of the X card. Without a doubt. Yeah, I like that. We had a whole episode about safety tools a while mm. back, and that was like the green, yellow, red is a slightly new one to me. So I'm going to have to look into that a little bit more. The reason you do that is especially if you're committing to a horror RPG. RPGs, if anything, mm -hmm. are a commitment to a tone and a story. Now, many of the newer games that have come out, uh, short to write quickie RPGs, setup of, hey, you guys like this movie? You guys like this show? This is the show for you. Lady Blackbird is yeah. if, if Joss Whedon wrote a Miyazaki movie. Which, that's one that I've had one opportunity to play, and I cannot wait for the next time to get into it. So get ready to be quippy, get ready to be ironic, get ready to be all girl power, but also let the cinematics take over of the beautiful mysticism of flying through this, this galaxy. That's your give and take. Inspectors, written by Queens' own Jared Sorensen, hmm. Suburban Ghostbusters, the RPG. You have a day job, this is your side job. The supernatural is more of a hindrance. It's something that you call and deal with. Versus if you have roaches, if you have trash on the corner, there's an electrical gremlin in the... Uh, <laughs> get the Rolodex. What this means is you, you say in the book... Yeah, this is meant to be just as funny as it takes a turn to be serious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you find a mummy wrapped up in the basement of a convenience store, but then you pull apart the bandages and the person looks exactly like the, the bodega owner upstairs and says, help me, help me, he's taken over for my family. Ding. Oh, we're going to a dark place now. Yeah. It is a commitment to a tone. If you are starting off... Oh my god, the the meme going around is the first five minutes of every RPG campaign is the shot of the Lord of the Rings. Yes. Six minutes onward, Monty Python. <laughs> that is up to you to uh, to put your hands in mm -hmm. and say, go planet, this is the, the um, atmosphere, this is the attitude, this is the style and the mood and the tone we are committing to. Two. Yeah, and you know, for a lot of people, going from straight up, this is the fellowship, to we are the knights of the round table, we dance whenever we're able, that's exactly what people want. Mm -hmm. But, having that tone shifting back and forth wildly mm -hmm. can be a lot of fun, just as much as it can cause whiplash, but it is entirely doable. For my money, the group that does it the best because they know they have they have a lot of patreon money going up on it is mm -hmm. astoria's own glass cannon podcast mm -hmm. and the glass cannon network at this point oh i'm so sorry but <laughs> when when they spin they start off to do a nice little eight to ten minute just vamp up and ramp and get the everyone charged with their personalities and their jokes here's a flashback to what i remember here's what this scene makes me think about here's what i just recently watched and then when we go into it we have, a, we have a set number of materials that the commentators and players can pull from for returning jokes, returning gags. Right. So that they can also vamp for when their GM, Troy, is trying to set up or draw a map. Or when someone is busy doing math, they can turn to another and either talk tactics or... This would be so ridiculous if after six dice, 66, he doesn't get above 10. I'll bet you $5 that he doesn't. Deal! Of course. Now we've had time to, to do a, that math. 
it is such a balance and you can only know this through experience you can only yeah. know it through your improv troupe who is your strong person who's your go-to straight man who's ready for that sitting down at a, at a at a convention with a brand new group everyone has to nod and say let's do our best to commit to the following media source right. that we are all aware of i once ran a game of inspectors for a group of kids in long island who were big common writer fans a show I had not watched anything of. So any uh, and everything that they were going to do in reference was what they had just spent the last month binging. Yep. I had to I had two options. Either put my hand down and say, This is dumb, don't like this, but they were having such a good time laughing, everyone every other NPC they encountered had to just be dumbfounded and play off of the joke. Yeah. Because you can't tell your players, like, hey, stop having the wrong kind of fun. <laughs> as we want to sometimes that doesn't work <laughs> I, I don't know why i got the image of a roller coaster and it's about to dip down and it slows to a crawl right at the bottom and you hear over the announcements stop screaming it's bad for the birds people on the streets are confused and concerned you may you can wave your arms but no screaming this is not what this is not what steel phantom was built for you may go we or sit silently between seven to twelve decibels. Oh God! <laughs> I don't know why this kind of fun. Why the specificity specificity of seven to twelve decibels is the thing that really got me. <laughs> I I do not understand. We spent a lot of time editing software. I I, I can tell now. Yeah. <laughs> oh Lord. Um. God, there was something I wanted to uh, something I wanted to bring up. Uh, when we are producing things like this, mm. there's this idea of you can get another take that kind of only sort of exists when you're actually at the table, but when you're creating your, your own narrative, when you're actually producing something for people to consume, mm -hmm. you want it to be the best that it can be. Mm -hmm. So... I guess my question I'm presenting is how do you hold on to the spontaneity that makes a game or a choice interesting while still making sure that like, oh, you, you kind of hiccuped through that or mm. I don't really like the way that came out or my character voice was wrong. Let me have another go at it. This is the joy of doing the writing is I don't have a second take except if I mess up in the recording, but writing the story... I do start with who is my main character, as, mm -hmm. in, as in I've gone through the World of Darkness system to design, this is my Sin Eater, this is Nyx, she's going to be our protagonist. What kind of a story would a, a high-end luxury real estate agent who drank herself to the brink of death, made a bargain with this deranged New Orleans a black bone daddy jazz ghoul? This living ghost that's now attached to her spirit that wants her to binge and have sex and do all of the great carnal joys that she's worn out and tired of. Mm -hmm. This constant conflict. What is the kind of story that she would go into? I start with an inciting incident. And while I try to plot out as best as I can in a five-episode miniseries, what do I want to be the big changes? Because narrative structure and every scene, just like from panel to panel in a comic book, is a measurement of change. Right. Sometimes a measurement of change is like waiting for Godot. 
it's incremental. It's so, so tiny, but it's the moments, the long moments in between. Other times, a big change is coming back from a, a seasonal break in Supernatural and finding out Dean's been dead for 50 years and now we're in the Wild West. <laughs> Great big hiccups like that. <laughs> Did that actually happen in that show? Because I stopped watching well, I think and that I was season nine. Oh, okay. Once they cross over w- with Scooby-Doo, I-, I think they've reached their own precipice of, of self-parody. Yeah. Now, there are times... Between episode two and three of any five-part miniseries, I get into, I fight myself into a corner, and I fight my way to push myself into that corner, Mm -hmm. but then I need to trust that character is going to punch their way out of it. And I'm starting to see a couple of habits where my, my characters are solving situations that they did not know they were solving. What I have to start doing is trusting the character and doing what I do as a GM. If your players are standing around talking too much, like my my players right now are in the Underdark. They're in a drow encampment. They are running between tents after tents, killing on their way up, trying to get to their goal. They can't spend two minutes talking in a tent. They've got to hide bodies and they've got to do it now. You have to throw something at them. Mm -hmm. As the GM, it is your job when energy is low to step away from the table, pull the fire alarm, and see how the characters react. Well, and that can be very intimidating. Not necessarily very difficult to do. Oh, by all means. But actually forcing your players into something always feels like, at least to me, Mm -hmm. like crossing a boundary. But that's what the narrative demands. Because then you have two options. One is you're not surprising the players. You are trying to surprise their character. Right. There's that safety of detachment. Your character can do things you could never even dream of. And they have practice. They were part of the city guard. They mm-hmm. are already level six training assassins. They react to danger way differently and way better than you ever could. So what is the coolest thing that they would do in response to this? Of course. So with Chroniclers of Darkness, I have to think of that as well. I have to challenge my players I have to challenge the the characters and protagonists with situations where what I like to start off is their powers can get them into situations that their powers can no longer help them with. Uh, I like that. Par exemple in French, um, like with my mage story, you're working with uh, Charlie, who is a Moros. This means that Charlie has control over death and matter changing the composition of things, weakening them, strengthening them. And Charlie's apprentice, Lynn, controls space and mind. So while they can teleport to places, read people's minds, and break down a door, they get into a space that can't be escaped because it's a one-way exit, and they're dealing with someone who can just shut down their power. So now, suddenly, the person walking around with a giant hammer no longer has the ha- the handle. It's like in Smash Brothers when you grab the Donkey Kong hammer and the first thing that happens is you throw off the top. Now you're just running around with a stick while Samus is on the other end just charging up that natural B blast. Absolutely. And it's a countdown to three, two, Donkey got Konged. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Kong just got donked. You get yourself locked into these situations. Mm. Absolutely. Your abilities can get you into places you otherwise could not. But then your skill and personality have to get you out. Uh, in the Changeling story I did, um, Brenda was very fun to work with, very fun to write for. He was so pragmatic, so yes, I get it. I'm a mushroom-based fairy. I don't give a, sh- I don't give a crap. 
Oh, you can Wendell. curse on this show. It's fine. Fucking yeah. <laughs> There's a part where they were about to essentially storm the Autumn Court's stronghold. Not even guns a-blazing. But he steps up to the door. Now, here's the thing, kids. A darkling is going to travel through the shadows or find what someone is afraid of and become that fear. A beast is going to claw and dropkick through the window. Uh, an ogre is just going to smash through the wall. If you're in the winter court, you could chill the doors and kick them down. I, I fucking ring the doorbell. <laughs> that is how Brindle directly approaches things. And then just with his scathing personality, he's able to catch people off their guard and make them lose their cool yeah. and make them make a mistake. That is the only thing that works for him. When he gets into when he gets into a situation that he can't talk them out of or he can't get under their skin, every situation he has to run. And there are mm -hmm. situations. I I call it spoiling your players and then soiling your players. Absolutely give yeah. them something that spoils them. You should not be holding the hammer of Mjolnir at sixth level. Especially if you're about to fight something that is healed by electricity. Oh, okay. By all means, th we've got this, th we have the, the go-to nuke in our hand. Fantastic. Twitch, Twitch. You know that's not going to work for everything, right? <laughs> oh I'm learning God. that in Pathfinder with my half-orc brawler. There are things I don't even want it in the same room with me, let alone to try and grapple. Oh, God, no. Like oh, a gelatinous God. cube. <laughs> oh. All of my feats are based on tripping and disarming. I'm not going to do that against a cube. No. Nope. We, we rely on my, my spouse's uh, character, who is an awakened house cat, level 10 sorcerer named Narfield. Narfield I don't know has your burned spouse, down. but I love them. Narfield has burned down to half a Corvosa. Well, here's my favorite part. In 5th edition, my spouse is playing Gargar. Gargar is a bugbear. Gargar is a gender. Gargar is asexual. Gargar is a cleric. Gargar is also the party face. And Gargar is a cannibal. I really like the way that you structured what you just said, where it's agender, asexual, a cleric. Because my first thought was, oh, not a cleric? Then what? <laughs> very neutral cleric. No, no, very neutral evil. But Gargar is all these things and a cannibal on yes, top. Yes, of course. <laughs> oh, my God. All hail Gargar. I, I want to meet Gargar. And then run very far away. Yep. <laughs> Gargar has adopted to... Uh, uh, cave bear children, two quagoths, who are just living nightmares for the rest of the party. Gargar is an excellent parent out of session when I get to have these one-on-one -on -one talks. Otherwise, Gargar reacts with uh, an introductory sentence. Welcome to the party. I am Gargar. If you fall in combat and I run out of healing spells, I will eat you. Oh. Until then, I will keep you alive. At least you know what they're about. Straight face, straight in the eye every single time. You know, sometimes there is a benefit and a, a very deep understanding that comes from just being completely and utterly and horrifically honest with someone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You get to do that in World of Darkness all the time. I, for a while, uh, back on an old defunct channel, ran a World of Darkness game that mm. was uh, broadcast over Twitch. Which was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. We did everything on Roll20. And one of the things that I remember very dearly about that was just how absolutely fucking bonkers things could go when my characters were just allowed to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. 
Because I would just sit back and be like, okay, I'm going to plan the next thing you That's guys have. That's such like... a gift to, to GMs. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> they take a time. Let's actually have this argument in character. Yeah. It's like, you guys take five minutes. Just, just talk amongst yourselves. I need to plan something. And the next thing I know, I unmute them. And I'm like, oh, wait, who are we trying to kill now? Wait, you guys were, were in a bar. Yeah, yeah, that caught fire. Now we're at the library. Wait, sit. Okay. All right. Uh oh, whose name was on that lease? <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the things that you can really only get away with when you really trust your players. Mm. But I think when you've got a group that is willing to push those boundaries and mm. to really take advantage of the medium, you can find yourself in situations that, while you may not have expected them, can always be twisted to your advantage as a storyteller. But that is so fascinating too. Uh, it was. Uh, Luke Crane, the creator of Burning Wheel, mm-hmm. who uh, who had said on Geek Nights, he said it many times, but story in an RPG is all retroactive. All you are yeah. doing is following the the exit lights on the bottom of of a of a plane hallway, that little passageway. You're following one at a time. Only when you look back do you see what you have done, how you reacted, who you are, and what the situation was. No. It's all retroactive. You must act and build it accordingly it's a medium unlike anything else besides improv yeah yeah rbg is a massive improv exercise that teaches you to go with things go with other people's um personalities and energy and work with that now what does that mean when we are trying to craft a story for the consumption of people not just at the table it adds an extra level i think that we are uh, we are still learning how to do. There's no class on how to do it just yet. Yeah. It is something that comes on instinct. Some people are just good with narrative structure. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get players together who know if they don't have a tight enough product, they are losing listeners. If that's what people respond to, I love that these guys are so professional and keep it to the story. That is their encouragement. Right. But if the majority of their fans are, I love how they just scream memes at each other, that's what's going to be encouraged. That's how you get from a larger niche mm-hmm. into a more micro niche, and that's how that's how bubbles start forming around content creators online. It's where yes. it's not just where the algorithm goes, but it's where your attention goes. I loved this joke. That joke is going to keep coming back because it got validated. It got yeah. listened. I started to write with more uh, diversity in mind. So I, I myself am a a straightest cisgender male mm-hmm. but motherfucking charlie the boros mage is um is 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 a trans woman who prefers they when they could very well go by she charlie's also pansexual save for the dishware as they put it <laughs> i wanted to throw that out there and then and then charlie started to get some some love on some more lgbt blogs yeah i find the players of changeling um, more so than werewolves are, are just closeted furries as, as an excuse to throw off all sexual boundaries because you're already a magical fairy anyway. It does not matter who or what you are going to fuck. Absolutely. I, 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 found, that, I found that Charlie and the Changeling stories really uh, resonated with, with a group of rabbit LGBT listeners. So, of course, I'm going to cater to that to, to welcome in that kind of a space. Well, and I think one of the amazing things about this uh, audio revolution is that people can craft what they want your character to be Mm. for themselves 
Like one mm. of the one of my favorite examples is thinking about the Adventure Zone, which was the podcast that got me into podcasts about Dungeons and Dragons. And seeing all of the fan art coming out of like here's this super minor side character that was mentioned like twice and has one distinct characteristic and there's 17 different fan art designs of them on this one person's blog and here's garfield the deals warlock i fucking love garfield i love that garfield became a meme for role players kind of just out of nowhere Mm -hmm. because why don't worry about it exactly because why not I have a Garfield reference in the game that I'm planning right now. Excellent. <laughs> Always got to be some Garfield. Ode to Odie. <sighs> the mystery has many layers and hates Mondays. <laughs> layers upon layers of deception and backstabbing and, and chaos and cheese and incest and ricotta. One of those things was not like the other. Yes. And all of them are in Game of Thrones. This is true. <laughs> There's ricotta in Game of Thrones? Isn't it? All sorts of food are in R.R. Martin's writings. But isn't it so interesting that it's it's claimed as the greatest show in television's history after Breaking Bad, but Game of Thrones is just... The reason people love these characters are reasons that they used to hate, like, rednecks in the American South. is yeah. just the ultra-violence, the territoriality, and, and the, the constant violence, sex, and incest. All... If we knew that we just needed chainmail, well, shit, the South would have risen again. Chainmail and broadswords. The monster trucks are all named after dragons. Oh, my God. All right. Well, you just created a Game of Thrones alternate universe that someone is going to go absolutely wild with. And I hope that they do. It would be a very loose-ended system. Absolutely. I would love to see that. (laughs) Uh, We are just about out of time, though. Is there anything else that you would like to throw out for final thoughts? I mean, thank you for having me on the show. Beyond checking out the backlog of uh, Chroniclers of Darkness, uh, my new and final stand-up album, Hi, I'm New and Dumb, is available for digital streaming. The name is Uncle Yo, Y-O, exactly like that. You can find me uh, on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And throughout the World of Darkness, Reddit, and the Discords, you'll see the little Yo skull with with the green monocle. Game on. Include everyone. Yeah, seconded on all counts. Carl, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, my man. Thank you for coming on. I've had a blast, Jesse. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And um, if you are out there and you want to send me an email to the show about something to talk about, or if you have a question about something that we talked about today, you can send that along to dodecapodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at podcastdodeca, because I couldn't get dodecapodcast for some reason. And... From all of us here at Dodecahedron, thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you on our next adventure.